Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hi, I'm Rick Martinez. I am a cookbook author, video host, and Choco and I are covered in home renovation dust. I'm Carla Lolly Music. I'm also a cookbook author, video host, and you are not the boss of me. And this is Borderline Salty, the show where we take your calls, boost your confidence, and make you a better, smarter, happier cook. Today we'll discuss baking with salted butter, spice cabinet organization, and what to do with a limited amount of basil. And we're joined by special guest Steven Satterfield from Netflix High on the Hog to share his very own kitchen nightmare story. But before we get into all that, Rick, tell me something good. Carla, when was the last time you sat in a swing? Oh, I mean, one of my children was swing age, so probably going back like eight years. Okay, that is far too long. (laughs) Is that right? This is a discovery that I literally made last night. So I just finished remodeling and decorating my entire house, and one of the things that I am so excited about, but I didn't know that I needed in my life, was an indoor swing. And in fact, not one, but two. Wow, it just makes sense somehow. I mean, you know, like, it just, it sets a vibe that is (laughs) so incredibly joyous. And so last night, I was doing my Instagram stories. Yeah. And I normally do that in bed. And I was like, you know what? I have a swing. Why not just go sit in the swing and, like, do it there? And I don't know. Like, I had thought to myself, like, when we were in the design phase, is this going to be dangerous? Am I going to have a drunken guest, like, fall off the swing and crack their head? Right. Is this a dumb idea? And, in fact, no. No. It is a very smart idea. And that's what I did. I just, I felt like a baby, just, like, slowly rocking myself to sleep as I'm going through Instagram. Wow. And it was one of the happiest moments I've had in a very long time. 
Love that for you. Yeah, it's hard to be uptight when you're sitting in a swing. So it's a great way to like disarm people in like any nervousness or jitters. I personally get really dizzy in swings. So Mm. my vertigo would be triggered. So I'll just watch from the side. I'll give people like a gentle little push so you don't even have to use your legs. Well, when you come visit, I will make us cocktails and you can sit in the large lounge chair across from the swings. Oh, great. She loves a chaise. (sighs) Who doesn't? (laughs) Feet up, you know? (laughs) So, Carla, why don't you tell me something good? There's been a lot of good things on these past few summer weekends, and I have basically decided this year that I'm not going to wait for peak season necessarily to enjoy some of my favorite summer foods. Mm. For example, this weekend I had two of my favorite summer like firsts. The first one was chilled watermelon by the pool. Ugh. I was at my parents' house. The pool was on. The peeps were hanging. We had salty chips and a tray of very delicious, you know, not as delicious as the watermelon's going to be over the next two months, but I want to ride the wave. You know, I want to be there when it was, like, good, and then Mm -hmm. I want to be there Mm -hmm. when it was, like, got better, and then it was great, and then it was, like, the best watermelon that you had, and have, like, lots of reference points. Okay, so the big question on everybody's mind, did you serve it with yellow mustard? I did not. You know, I didn't go for the mustard this time, but (laughs) I do recommend pairing your watermelon with salty chips because then you get like the salted watermelon effect. And you know why we eat salty things when you're at the beach or by the pool? Because you lose salt from your sweat? Yeah. And it helps you retain water, which is what you need to do when it's really hot out. So it makes sense to have little salty things. Oh, science by Carla. (laughs) (laughs) And then my other, you know, summer kick it off was I had my first tomato sandwich of the year. Mm. My mom, Carol, got a very good tomato. Love Carol. It was in end of August in the Northeast tomato, but it was very good. And I made a delicious cheddar sandwich with delicious slices of salted tomato and Mm. like a fistful of arugula. (laughs) Nothing like fisting arugula. (laughs) Fistful, my friend. (laughs) Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I missed that full part. Yeah, got it. And I actually took a page from your playbook, your grilled cheese playbook, and toasted the sandwich up in delicious salted butter. And it was sublime. Oh, salted butter. Okay, cultured, non-cultured. Cultured. Even better. Carla Lally Music, you win summer tomato sandwiches. (laughs) I really owe it all to Carol Lally. All right, Carla. Are you ready to get into some color questions? I was born ready. Let's do this. Hello, caller. You're on the line with Rick and Carla. Hey there. My name is Kevin, and I have a question slash rant about unsalted butter. I love to cook, and I love to bake, and I feel like people always tell me in baking recipes to use unsalted butter and then add salt. However, I always use salted butter. I feel like my baked goods have always been fantastic and have never been oversalted. In fact, I would argue that most baked goods probably could benefit from more salt. And I wonder if people can even tell the difference between salted butter and unsalted butter. So that's my rant slash question. Why should I use unsalted butter versus salted butter? 
I mean, the borderline salt is love a salt question. Oh, love some salt. <laughs> and I got to say, I agree with pretty much everything Kevin said, with the possible exception of people can't taste the difference between salted and unsalted because he basically proves otherwise by saying all of his stuff tastes amazing with salted butter and that in general, he feels like baking recipes could benefit from a little more salt, which I also completely agree with, especially older recipes. But as recipe developers, we would like you to use unsalted butter. And I know Rick has strong feelings about this and can tell us why. Yeah, I mean, I think I also 100% agree with Kevin about the baked good thing. Mm -hmm. I hate taking a bite of a cookie and if there's not enough salt, you just don't taste it. It's almost like, why eat this cookie if you can't taste all the amazing things inside of it. Right. I also think that the reason why we as recipe developers use unsalted butter is to control the amount of salt and also to give the people that cook our food a baseline. Mm -hmm. You know, if we start at zero salt in a recipe, then I can tell you, use a teaspoon of salt and this is the result that you're going to get. And I think this is the the right amount of salt. Um, but then certainly you can adjust it as you go along. That's the reason why we do it. Yeah. Certainly 50 years ago, there was a belief that you added salt to preserve the butter. And it is a preservative. Right. And, you know, just a quick Google search says that Salted butter does still actually last a little bit longer, maybe two to three months longer than unsalted butter. But in an age of homogenization and pasteurization and all of these other things, you're probably not going to get a lot of off flavors. But I also store unused butter in my freezer. Right. Because when I see, you know, president butter or cultured butter on sale at the grocery store, I buy about 10 pounds. Yep. <laughs> and then I am well stocked anytime a cookie emergency happens, which is often. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we will always want to do is just assume that you have one type of butter in the house. So assuming that people have unsalted because they're using it for kind of everything and then adding the salt. But I don't know. Kevin sounds like he's a pro. He's making some delicious baked goods. No one has complained. I think it's great to have a couple of rants in life and just keep this one. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. We wouldn't have salted caramel chocolate tarts if it wasn't true that a little bit of salt makes every dessert better. Sometimes a lot of salt. All right. Who's next? Hi, Carla and Rick. My name is Sabina and I'm Sicilian. I love cooking my grandma's recipes. Nona, shout out to Nona, I love you. But the problem that I face a lot is finding good basil. Something that my Nona says is that it's not even worth making red sauce if you don't have good basil. Like dried basil is not cutting it, obviously. But I live in Arizona and it's really hard to find good quality basil. So I was wondering if you guys have any good suggestions for buying basil or finding basil because growing basil in my climate is totally not an option. Okay, thanks. Big fan. Bye. Shout out Nona and shout out Sicily. Yes. Love. Actually, Sicily and Arizona, I bet it's not easy to grow 
basil in southern Sicily in the summer either. It's very hot and very dry. So many generations have probably struggled with the same problem. I mean, if you're not growing your basil, you're looking for it in the supermarket. And if you are buying basil just to cook with, try to buy it as close to, you know, Sunday ragu day as possible. Yeah. And I used to always store basil in like a loosely wrapped plastic vegetable bag or other reusable bag with a piece of paper towel inside until I started working with my food stylist, Sabelle, who works with me on all of my videos. And every time we get basil, she puts it in a jar with cold water and then puts a vegetable bag over the top and leaves it at room temperature. And it does great. I'm curious, Rick, are you a fridge guy or a counter guy? I'm a fridge guy, and mainly because here it's a lot warmer mm-hmm. and things will will go bad more quickly. When I worked at Food Network, the way that we would store basil depended on the size of the stem. So, for example, if you can find big stemmed basil, then we would keep it in quart containers with a little water and then put a bag over it. And in the cooler months, we'd keep it outside. In the warmer months, we would put it in the walk-in. And then for the small stem basil, we would take a Ziploc bag, put a few leaves in it with a dry paper towel folded in half, and then seal it up. That's the way that the basil was always stored on, like, Iron Chef and all the cooking competition shows. Using those two methods, we always had fresh basil, and it would always last at least five days, if not longer. Yeah, and if this is something that Sabina can't count on finding in the supermarket, and you have to hold it longer because you just don't want to be caught without, buy a bunch, you know, not literally one bunch, but buy a bunch of bunches, (laughs) bring them home and put a pot of heavily salted water on to boil, pick those basil leaves and then dunk them in the boiling salted water for about 30 seconds. This will lock in their green color, it will season them, it will tenderize them, and then immediately shock in cold ice water and then drain, squeeze them out and puree that cooked blanched basil in a blender, hand blender, food processor with just enough oil to turn the blades. And then you can freeze that in like tablespoon portions or other small portions to add to the sauce. Mm. Because I agree with Nona you know, dried basil doesn't cut it. Yeah. I'd rather leave it out than use dried basil or rely on one of these little frozen basil cubes. Yeah, and then just drop the cube in at the end to finish your sauce and boom. How come at the end? Tell me your thinking on that. Because I think if you dropped it in at the beginning and it's a a long simmered sauce, you're going to lose all that fresh flavor. Got it. That makes total sense. Yeah. And if all else fails, there's no fresh basil, you really want to make the sauce, you know, Tomato sauce without basil is still good. And I really like dried oregano, which is very Sicilian also to use dried oregano. Yeah. And I swear to God, ragus can be delicious even if they don't have tons of fresh basil in them. And I will prove it by linking to my recipe for Gia's Sunday ragu in the show notes. Preach. I can smell the sauce. Can you smell the sauce? (sighs) I want some pasta now. The tomatoey flavor. I can smell it wafting through the house. Oh my God. <laughs> Carla, we have time for one last question. All right, caller, what do you got? Hi, Rick and Carla. My name is Ellen, and I have a cooking conundrum. 
I'm afraid of my spice cabinet. It has taken over my kitchen. I've got old spices. I've got new spices. How do you guys manage your spices? Please, can you help me? It's becoming an issue with me, my husband, my house. Anything you guys can do to help would be greatly appreciated. I feel like I've just watched a horror movie trailer. I'm just imagining, like, these evil spices, like, seeping out of the closet and spinning out of a lazy Susan. Yeah. <laughs> like, and poor Ellen, like, you know, being murdered by cinnamon sticks and allspice berries. I know. When we're little kids, it's like the monster in the closet. And then when you become an adult, it's like the spice, <laughs> spices in the cabinet. <laughs> Oh, my God. Did Carol have the little metal McCormick tins of, like, cinnamon and, and allspice and cloves? Oh, yeah. That just sat there forever, like, until they got rusty? Indeed. Although, you know, she moved through spices pretty well, and there was it was always organized. But uh. I think there's a clue in the very beginning of Ellen's comment, which is that she's got old spices and she's got new spices. Mm-hmm. And if you've got an old spice— You need to get rid of it. Yeah, if you have an old spice, like you've got some old cumin and then you have some new cumin, then old cumin has to go bye-bye. Yeah, so I have a very strict one-year policy on all of my spices. The first thing that happens, and I generally do this in January so that it's just like, you know, part of the New Year cleanse. So when I buy anything for my pantry, I always put a label on it on the date that it entered the pantry so that I know that if something was purchased and arrived on 3-21-21, then on 3-21-22, I can get rid of it. Yeah. That motherfucker's gone. <laughs> but just to be clear, like, I actually compost all the dried herbs and spices. And you actually don't even need to do anything fancy. I actually just sprinkle them over the top of my plants. Mm-hmm. And then when you water them, you get a nice little waft of like ground cloves. Mm, that's sweet. I bring mine out on a boat and I just cast them out at sea with oh. their one of their favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> ground cumin loved this view. So we're just going to go there and sprinkle them all over the side of the hill. <laughs> So, yeah, I love a cabinet clean-out. For me, they aren't as planned as that. For me, it's like I want to put something away and there isn't quite enough room. And then right then and there, I have to, like, have the giant reorg. So it's just KonMari for the kitchen. It's very cleansing. It's a wonderful practice. You thank it for its service, and then it's no longer sparking joy. That's right. Now, I've heard you also talk about your zones. Can you tell us about your your zoning policy? Oh, yeah. So the whole kitchen is organized by zone. And then within the zone, you have like the things that go together, live in that zone together. So all of my spices are in one area of the kitchen, kind of these pull-out drawers that are right on top of each other. And the way that I keep my spices organized is basically there's one area that's for all of the chili-based spices. So Mm. all the different kinds of chili powder paprika, cayenne, but also whole chilies, like anything that is derived from a chili lives in that area. And then everything else kind of by default lives together. So cumin and coriander and fennel and cinnamon and star anise, like they aren't 
chili so that <laughs> you're not going to find them in that. And then I keep overflow, like spices that I buy in larger quantities are black pepper, the bag of MSG, my nutritional yeast, which I kind of think of as a spice, like extra boxes of flaky salt, like those are overflow go somewhere else. But that way, if you're looking for something that isn't a chili spice and you didn't find it, that means you don't have it. It doesn't mean that it could be in three other places. It's like, if it's not here, I don't have it. Yeah, and then buy smaller. Like, don't buy the big ones. Buy, like, buy smaller, buy whole spices. The flavor will last longer, grind them yourself. Yeah. And then that way you're not dropping a whole lot of money, you know, on, like, a giant jar of ground cinnamon. Exactly. Happy spice, happy life. (laughs) (laughs) Happy pantry, happy you. Now it's time for our next segment, Total Kitchen Nightmare. In this segment, we're bringing in our friends and culinary heroes to share their kitchen disasters. And this week, we're speaking to someone who has been redefining food media, Stephen Satterfield. Stephen is the founder of Whetstone, a media company dedicated to food origins and culture. He is also the host of one of my absolute favorite docuseries on Netflix, High on the Hog, which documents how African-American food has defined American cuisine. He's doing truly transformative work in food origins, culture, and culinary history, and we are so excited to chat with him today. So excited. Well, Stephen, we are so incredibly excited to have you on. Welcome and thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me, and I share in your excitement. We also want to give a huge congratulations on the very amazing and well-earned Peabody nomination for High on the Hog. Thank you so much. Um, What an honor that is shared among many. I'm happy to be included. Yeah, it actually made us think about all of the different ways that you've been involved in various facets of the food world. You went to culinary school, which Rick and I both did. You're a sommelier, which I am not. (laughs) You've managed amazing restaurants, and you now create media on many platforms about food and culture. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's very impressive. Thank you. I'm really flattered. It sounds really good coming out of your mouth for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like the sound of it, though. Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you. Um, but I also think that you probably, at some point in your career, before you were making these award-winning <laughs> series and, and telling these amazing stories, you probably had a kitchen nightmare. And I would love it if you could tell us what it was. Yeah, I knew we were going to go here, Rick. (laughs) So, no, this is part of the origin story, you know? I like that y'all are using this show to explore the dark side of um, (laughs) people who are often otherwise celebrated. Okay, so I have a story for you. And, well, before I tell you the story, I would have to tell you that I have had so many kitchen nightmares that... I didn't even know which one to choose from or where to begin. But typically the way that I handle my kitchen nightmares is to suppress them, to bury them, (laughs) and to burn sage around the memories Mm -hmm. where those nightmares used to live in my mind. So that's number (laughs) one. But I did think of one story. It actually is from when I was in culinary school. It was a long time ago. I was a teenager. And... um, you know, I was already like a pretty 
serious food person at this early stage in life. But I was also paying my way through school. And so I had a lot of jobs. I was just hustling. I had no money. So one of the jobs that was available to me was in a mall in Portland. I believe the mall was called the Lloyd Center Mall. It was a burger place. With all sincerity, I truly don't remember the name of the establishment. In a moment, you'll hear why. It was a short tenure. Um, So I don't actually remember the name of the place, but it was a burger place inside of this mall. I think I was trying to get into like a a management pathway, perhaps um, quick service management. And so, um, you know, they had me go through the training. They accepted me because I was in the management and hospitality school. So they brought me in and I realized I'm going to have to go through all of the different stations, you know. Mm -hmm. And one of the stations was as a prep cook. And one of the things that I had to prep was guacamole. And I'm like, I'm in culinary school. This is an expensive education. I grew up watching the Food Network. I know how to make guacamole. (laughs) This is offending my sensibilities. (laughs) Right. You know? Also, brief pause. Was this the kind of burger place that, like, you could have, like, the Mexican burger or the pizza burger? Because guacamole and burgers, not necessarily. Right. Already a red flag. (laughs) So it says a lot about what kind of place. So, yeah, I'll leave it to you to infer from there, but you're asking all the right questions. And probably this was on my mind when the next thing happened, which is the nightmare itself. So I'm making the guacamole begrudgingly because I know how to do it. I can't remember if I was improvising off of the recipe or if I, in just a state of not being tapped into the work, like maybe was following the recipe, but somehow like over salted. I don't know, whatever happened, there was too much salt in the guacamole. And there was a lot of avocados that had been used at this point. So then I decided to course correct, adding a little balance, right? Yeah. I thought maybe just a little more acid and a little more heat. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I love salt, but like a little acid, a little heat, I'm sure it's fine. I did these things at the chili flakes, add some more lime. I'm like, wow, this is really salty and hot now. <laughs> it didn't actually go how I thought it was going to go. So I said, well, I'm at the Portland Mall, and I think that if the guacamole is spicy, that's going to really be an alarm for a lot of people. Like, that's not going to yeah. go unnoticed, shall we say. So I thought maybe, no, I had never done this as a qualifier, but I thought maybe a little sugar to balance out all of the heat, right? Yeah, these are great. I mean, for a teenage culinary student, you understood balance. You understand? Thank you. Okay, so you're walking with me. You've watched two hot tamales. You know what's up. I know what's up. Yeah. So I add the sugar and I'm like, okay, this is a disaster. This is not palatable. And so instead of sharing that knowledge, I decided to withhold that knowledge. I I kept that. And so the guacamole was sent out, and I'm not sure if it was the manager on duty who tasted the guacamole. Maybe someone tasted it and alerted the manager on duty. But I didn't even get through that shift. (laughs) I was... (laughs) I was asked 
to um, take my apron off. Wow. And um, that was my last day on the job. I think it was maybe my third day of work. I was more of a fine dining guy. Totally. So that was an important revelation for me, too. Um, so that was my my brief career in quick service hospitality. Well, so it worked out for the best. Totally. Yeah. No regrets. Exactly. This is what we're always saying. All of these mistakes lead us on to, like, being better humans. Bigger and better things. Do you have a hard time with guacamole to this day? No, certainly not. Good. I mean, I... Amazing. Thank goodness. I'm amazing at making guacamole. I probably was amazing at making it when I was a 19-year-old, which is what really derailed me um, in that moment. But yeah, I told you I suppressed these memories. And so I never really thought about that again until actually, truly, this this show, your inquiry <laughs> sent me down um, a my pathway of, of remembering disasters in the kitchen. After you leave, you'll never have to speak of it again, hopefully. Yes. Well, we can revive this one, but yeah, the rest are still in the graveyard, <laughs> thankfully. That's a real gift. Mine are very uh, surface. Like, just while you're speaking, two or three other ones just came back up wow. to the top. I'm sorry. One of the reasons, actually, that I decided to go in a management pathway for my career was that some of the early moments of the things on the plate not matching the vision in my mind and for people that I love, I didn't like that feeling. I didn't want to be a professional chef because I didn't like the stakes, mm. you know? It changed my relationship with food. So that actually, I guess I did the equivalent of like switching majors, mm -hmm. going from culinary to the hospitality program. So yeah, I have a gift. And I guess if it's a gift, <laughs> whatever the opposite of that is, that's what is happening for you. And I'm sorry for that. That's okay. <laughs> You're really resilient, that, though. You've come really far, even though these things are close to the surface. Yeah, that's true. For Total Kitchen Nightmare, honestly, we could just rotate through every five or six guests that we have. Rick and I can tell another nightmare. But Stephen, if this story were a short story that you had to give a headline or a title to, what would it be? Too cocky with the guac. <laughs> <laughs> I would so read that story. Oh, my goodness. Same. Me too. Me too, actually. Too cock for guac. Yeah, too cocky with the guacky. Too cocky with the guacky. <laughs> That's amazing. They were lucky to have you, and they just didn't know it. They didn't recognize the talent. They didn't. No. Thank you for seeing me in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling meeting new friends or just even to master a new skill but it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes that's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Before we go, it's time for, you guessed it, rad fad or bad fad. Okay, Rick, this trend was popping off a couple of weeks ago, and every time I saw it, I wanted to eat it so badly. It combines so many of my favorite things into one of my other favorite things, and I found it mouthwatering. We're about to find out what you think. My stomach is growling. Let's do it. It's sandwich time, bitches, and this time we're making an Italian grinder on homemade focaccia. What? Melt the bread on both sides. Turkey goes down on one side while the other gets ham. Going in with the soppressat. Going in with the gabagool. And of course, we got the prosciutto. Don't just lay it flat. Like, give it some what? depth here. Yeah, notice that. And then, of course, pepperones. 
the little minis. Look at the pepperoni all right, cups. We're going to heat that shit up, get it nice and toasty, heat the meats all the way through. Next, you need to put parm on there, fresh parm. Do not buy store-bought, already done parm. Okay, so everything that's happening here is huge, but the next part is what really makes the sandwich, and I have to explain it because I am so into it. So after the meat and cheese is all perfectly draped and laid down and toasted, you cut up some thick tomatoes and then make the grinder salad. So for that, you grate garlic, add it into mayo with red wine vinegar and oregano. Then you slice some pepperoncinis and onions and add both of those into the mayo mixture with more fresh cracked pepper and chili flakes. Give that whole thing a toss and stack a whole bunch of it onto your sandwich for the finished product. Look how good this looks. Mm. Shut the fuck up. No. (laughs) Shut up. God damn it. I am so hungry. All of the meat, like it's such a meat party. It's like already a meat party. But the grinder salad itself has taken off as like a veggie sandwich. Oh. I've never seen like all the veg dressed like that before. Like... I've seen all of them individually, you know, composed on the sandwich, but oh my God. And then you've got the hot and the cold and the crunchy and the wet and the cheesy and the... Melty and the drippy and the cups. The cups. The pepperoni cups. Like, who (laughs) is this woman? Like, I love her. I want her to talk through every recipe now. And great advice there with the draping of the cold cuts instead of just making them flat. Fluffy. Oh, I need that in my life. I, you were exactly right. I am so hungry. I think literally my heart stopped when she put the one, what I thought was one sandwich on top of the other. <laughs> oh my God. I'd also like to mention that it's her boyfriend who is making her this sandwich while she films and narrates it. And I just have to say, that's amore, folks. Is the boyfriend on Grinder? <laughs> it's a Grinder salad. Oh, oh, <laughs> right, right. Sorry. Okay, so without really having to ask, the Grinder sandwich. Rad fat or bad fat? That is the raddest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> like, I'm literally, like, I'm like, great, now I get to go eat yogurt and berries? That's going to be really satisfying now. Yeah. We're just here to inspire. And that's it for this week's episode of Borderline Salty. You can find recipes and recommendations from this week's episode in our show notes. And if you're like me and you can't get enough of our guest, Stephen, make sure to check out whetstonemagazine.com and High on the Hog on Netflix. Or give him a follow on Instagram or Twitter at I Saw Stephen. If you have a question or a fear you want us to help you work through, you can always leave us a voicemail at 833-433-FOOD. That number again is 833-433-3663. Borderline Salty is an original production by Pineapple Street Studios. We're your hosts. I'm Rick Martinez. I'm Carla Lolly Music. You can find links to our work in the show notes for this episode. Natalie Brennan is our lead producer. Janelle Anderson is our producer. Our managing producer is Agarenish Chagre. Our assistant producer is Maria Roscoe. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. Mixing and engineering by Davey Sumner and Jason Richards. Our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. Original music from our very own Raj Makija. Additional music from Vincent Vega, Spring Gang, and Glovebox, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. 
Legal services for Pineapple Street are provided by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson de Roche. Our executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. We appreciate Kevin, Ellen, and Sabina for calling in this week. And a huge thank you to you for listening. We'll be talking to you real soon. Yeah, Rick, don't lose my number. Oh, honey, I got you on speed dial. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Make your loved one a sandwich. Grinders for grinder. <laughs> I've never been so inspired to open up that app. <laughs> 